Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another Monday morning live devotional. Uh, we are streaming on Facebook, also on the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. I guess we're not streaming there, um, but it will come out soon, uh, either probably later this afternoon or tomorrow. If you are watching on Facebook Live, you will notice that, uh, unfortunately for you, Daniel has upgraded uh, my setup here to include high definition. So I know the last thing you want to see on a Monday morning is the high definition of my face, um, but that is nonetheless what you're seeing. So I apologize for that. And it looks like Facebook might be having a problem playing this video. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that this is streaming really quick. Um, I might restart it and then we'll start over again. So one second. Hey, so uh, you might want to, I just started streaming on Facebook and then it said we're having problem streaming the video. So I ended it and I'm going to go back in again, but it might be, I might have you make sure it's streaming and call me if it's not. Yeah, it's just a local desktop folder. Okay, good. Um, hmm. I'm going to toggle YouTube off now, and I'm going to update the stream key in Caster. Yeah. Save. Um... I make sure that it's a desktop folder. Um, in OBS, uh huh. Um, we have. I'm gonna open it up on my computer here, real quick, just so I can guide you. But it's gonna be in um, settings. There should be a spot um, for the recording, and it'll have a place to set it. I'm just waiting for OBS to open. Sorry. Um, I mean, I could probably just look at my folder on here, on my desktop. Um, yes, only if there's something in there that... Um, there is something in there right now. It says sync pending. Sync pending? 
Yeah. Um, there shouldn't be a sync of any kind unless you've got like OneDrive set up or Google Drive set up to sync your desktop. No, I don't. Um, desktop Monday videos is what's called. So this is 817. 2020. Is this the one I just recorded? It might be the one I just yeah, recorded yeah, and ended. 15, so. Let me make sure. Just created a, we just created a desktop file for that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then yep. when you're done, you, yeah, you just can put it into Google Drive, and that way I can um, have access. Should I just try to go live again on Facebook? My feed is up. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why. Now, the sync pending thing is, is the only thing that... Well, I wonder if that was just dumping my... Um, if I go to settings here... You know what you could do, too, is you could right-click on your Google Drive icon and your OneDrive icon in your system tray, and you could just exit out of them just to make sure that, you know, just as a really quick fix right now so that we can get rolling with it. Um, um, okay. I don't... Backup and sync from Google. Mm-hmm. You can quit that. I can just pause it. Uh, sure, yeah. yeah you All can right. Pause it. And I don't... I, OneDrive is processing changes. Let me right-click here and see if I could do anything there. Um, uh, pause syncing for two hours. All right. All right, I'm going to give it a go. If I'm not showing up, why don't you just call me? I'll hang up here and we'll figure it out. Um, okay, sounds good. All right, bye. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Monday Morning Live Devotional. Um, we're having some technical difficulties today, so hopefully uh, it is able to work for you on Facebook. Um, I'm trying to watch that out of the corner of my eye right now um, to make sure that we are going. Um, but Daniel has upgraded us to a HD format on here, so you see my bright, shining face if you're watching via Facebook instead of our podcast in all of its Monday morning glory. So I apologize for that. Um, but Daniel says it's good for us to look like this. So uh, I'm just sorry that this is what you have to look at. Um, good to be back. We had a little bit, bit of a vacation the last week. Um, people were asking how it was. We went over to um, the lake and I like to say I enjoyed my family, but I did not enjoy the family vacation. Um, it was wrought with all sorts of quirkiness. Uh, all of the nights we were in there, a bat actually got into the house. And so we got to um, relive some scenes from the office trying to shoo a bat out. We also had um, bad weather over there. It was windy and cold. And it also had a broken boat and the hot tub wasn't working. Um, but it was good. So we had no shame kind of playing 
card games with our our family, which Sarah loves, and watching Netflix. Um, but it's good to be back with you all. So uh, what we are doing right now is we're continuing to the F260 Bible reading plan. Uh, we are in John chapter 6 today. And if we've been in uh, kind of, we've been ping-ponging back and forth between the Gospels, and we are in the Gospel of John. And what we've noticed is when you were in John 3 and John 4, and Johnny Kudrowski, uh, not Johnny the Apostle, um, preached on John 3 the last two weeks, Sovereign Hope. And one primary theme that is in the book of John is the theme of believe. And so John is really after believing who Jesus is. And that theme comes home again today. So we're going to look at that theme and its implications for us as we do three things with the text. We look up. What does this teach us about God? We look in. What does this teach us about ourselves? And we look out. What does this teach us um, about the way we live? So uh, I'm going to give a brief recap of John chapter 6, and then we will dive into uh, those three categories. So the first thing we see is um, Jesus is having more and more people start to follow him. And so he went away um, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the crowd followed him. And this is where we see uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And so there's this huge crowd following Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, first of all, he keys in on Philip and he says, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip says, man, you know, 200 days or 200 years labor could not, um, or 200 days wages, excuse me, uh, 200 denarii could not feed these people. Um, but they found this boy, Peter found this boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. Uh, what are we going to do with this? We can't make this work. But Jesus does indeed make it work. And he he uses those loaves and those fish. And he feeds 5,000 people. And there are 12 baskets left over that the apostles go and uh, gather from the crowd And then afterwards, evening came, and they're still tired. And so Jesus goes by himself, withdraws by himself, and the disciples go to cross the sea to the other side. So important thing to note, Jesus is not in the boat. Uh, Jesus is by himself, and the disciples are rowing. But Jesus walks on the water because the boat is stuck in the storm, and initially they are frightened. But Jesus says, "Uh, it's me. Don't be afraid. And so he gets in the boat, and then immediately they're on the other side. In other words, Jesus gets there, and the storm itself is resolved, and they're safely on the other side of the lake. Now, the crowds who are with Jesus and the disciples on one side, they saw with their own eyes Jesus not get in the boat, and they saw the disciples get into the boat. And then they notice that Jesus isn't on the other side. How did he get over there? They're not sure, but they go ahead and they circumvent the lake. They get to the other side. It takes them a day to get over there um, and start having this dialogue with Jesus. They said, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? In other words, how did you get across the lake? And he begins to talk to them about seeing and believing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse 26, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then there's this interesting question. They say, what must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. And then Jesus begins this dialogue with the crowd. Um, They are flabbergasted by this bread miracle that Jesus did. And Jesus says that I am the bread of life. They say, well, what sign will he give us? Moses gave us manna in the desert. Uh, And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the bread of life. I am the greater manna in the desert. You must feast on me. And then he goes into this, this portion beginning in verse 
41, as he defines what it means that he is the bread sent from heaven, it means that he is God's provision sent to his people. Um, that God the Father and God the Son are working in tandem um, to bring salvation to his people. He has been sent by God. Jesus is going to call those um, who he will save to himself, and they will feast on his flesh. That's what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. That sounds weird. It does. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, and then the Jews start arguing again because they're a little miffed that Jesus would make this bold claim that he is the bread of life. And they start arguing about this, like, hey, we know this guy. We know his family. This guy isn't all he's cracked up to be. Um, but then he continues uh, with this dialogue and many disciples in verse 60. And so what does it mean when it says many? It means it's not just the 12. Um, these are just kind of followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus in general. And they say, hey, when you start talking about being eaten, uh, that's weird, Jesus. This is a hard thing for us to understand. And then he says this, do you take offense to this, that if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And so one thing we'll talk about when we get here is this real contrast between seeing and believing. Jesus says, if you saw this, would you believe? And then he says this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And so at this point, many of the disciples turn away. They turn away from Jesus. Um, they're somehow not pleased with, uh, they're pleased with the miracles, but once this dialogue and this teaching started, they became displeased and they left Jesus. But the 12 remained and Jesus turned to the 12. He says, do you want to leave as well? Peter says something really important in the context of John 6. He says, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so that's kind of the scope of, there's lots of other details in John chapter 6, but that's kind of the big picture of what's going on. We see the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus meets his disciples uh, as they're crossing the lake. He walks on the water. And then there's this extended discussion on Jesus as the bread of life and how he must be consumed by faith. So, uh, what do we do with this passage? Well, we first look up and there's a big theme in this text. And I'm sure you caught it when you were reading it this morning. And that is that Jesus is the bread of life. It's something I believe he says three times in John chapter six. And there's bread all over, right? There's bread in the feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves. There's bread with the story of Moses and manna. Jesus is the bread of life. Bread, 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 bread. It's a big theme that Jesus is making here. And during this time, bread was kind of the cornerstone of a person's diet. So it was really central to what was going on. Um, and he makes this kind of unique claim when he's talking about being the bread of life. And he says this in uh, verse 36. He says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So he's talking to these crowds, these crowds who um, saw him feed the 5,000 people, and perhaps even ate the bread of the 5,000. Uh, they saw that somehow Jesus miraculously got to the other side of the lake. He says, you've seen this. You have this empirical evidence that something unique is going on and yet you do not believe me. And what's the point he's making here? Um, you see, in our kind of uh, work, 
we're ebbing away from sort of a rational scientific culture right now, but there still is this uh, idea of, you know, the scientific method and even personal empiricism. And that is, if we can see something, that something will be true. And yet here, these people have seen Jesus, they've seen his miracles, and yet they're not believing him. Um, and the point is, is Jesus actually takes it one step further. There's something more uh, empirical for the Christian than seeing Jesus, and it's eating Jesus. That's actually the contrast he makes here. He's saying, I am the bread of life. You must feast on this flesh. He says this in verse 55 through 56. He says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And so Jesus is talking here because they say, well, God gave Moses manna from heaven. What sign will you give us? Like, how will you provide for us? And Jesus takes their, their, uh, their Old Testament allegory, their Old Testament proof, and he presses it really deeply. And when I say deeply, I mean awkwardly deep. Jesus here is using what sounds like cannibalistic language here, that, that he would be eaten. And this has an implication that I think is helpful to, to look at, at our evangelism. Um, we want to be rational. We want to be coherent. We want to be wise in sharing the gospel. But there comes a point with the gospel of Jesus Christ where it's meant to be jarring. Jesus uses language um, that is jarring here, that is weird. And the disciples themselves respond to it. They say, this is a hard teaching. And so that's something that is encouraging when we are, um, it's something that's potentially discouraging that I think this text causes us encouragement with, that when we're sharing the gospel, we're going to come up to points of the gospel message where it is meant to jar where it doesn't make sense. And that's kind of the point that Jesus is making uh, in John chapter 6 is what's going on is beyond the senses. You need the help of the Father to understand what it is um, that's going on. And yet, there's great hope in this because even though um, the language of the gospel is an odd language. And every time uh, we haven't been able to do it during this COVID time, but I imagine we will soon, um, we, we take the Lord's Supper, even to those non-believers who are in our midst, there's something weird going on. We are taking a, 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 a piece of bread and, and equating it to a body and a, a cup and equating it to blood. It's it's a weird language. It become common for us who are in the church, but to outsiders, it's, it's darn right weird um, what's going on. But in that oddity, there's this wonderful proof that Jesus shows in the rest of John 6 that God is working behind that. God is drawing with eyes of faith those who would hear. And um, the, when Jesus is saying he is the bread of life, he is showing that he is the centrality, the provision of God to his people greater than Moses' manna. And I think this is really important for how we consider Jesus himself. Um, because there are so many wonderful aspects of Christianity. There's restoration to God. There's restoration to others. There is uh, freedom and forgiveness from sins. Uh, there's clarity and thought. We see the, the world through a whole different lens. Things that were once ordinary become miraculous. God is sustaining these things. Um, but because of that, uh, we can often lose sight of the centrality of Jesus. And there's a restaurant in uh, actually where we were at the lake that uh, we love to go to as a family. It's an Italian place. And uh, I have a problem every time I go there because our entrees are delicious. Um, but what they do is they uh, give you 
with each, with each entree, you obviously get a salad, but then they bring out this delicious garlic bread that is just never ending. And so I get there and I always say, Tyler, don't eat all the bread. Um, because what generally happens is I go there and I want this amazing entree and I order it. But by the time the entree gets to me, I've had like eight loaves of bread and a salad and I'm like, I can't eat any more of this. And if we're not careful uh, in our Christianity, we can see the sides of grace. Um, we can see um, the appetizers of mercy. And we can actually become satisfied with those to the point where we're not actually getting the chance to consume Jesus. Where Jesus himself isn't actually the central point into how we understand our relationship to God and how we understand uh, the role Jesus plays in our salvation. And I've seen that time and time again. There are people who come to the church. There are people who are even baptized into the church. Um, but what is at the center of their understanding of their identity between how they relate to God and how they relate to the church is something like um, community. They belong to this people and they are hungry. They're really, really hungry for belonging or they're really, really hungry um, for uh, help in their weaknesses. They're really, really hungry for some sort of uh, religious experience and they can take those sides and they become so satisfied with the sides that they actually miss the entree of grace. And to miss the entree of grace, to miss Jesus as the bread of life, the thing you are waiting for, is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, to miss everything. If we as Christians do not partake of Christ as the only way in which we are reconciled back to God, the only way in which our sins are dealt with in his body on that tree, then we are not eating the the means of grace that God has given to us. We have not tasted salvation. And so there's this um, kind of unique parallelism that happens here where Jesus says, you can have tasted the bread of Moses and it can be insufficient. You can have even tasted the bread of the miracle and it can be insufficient. But you, dear Christian, you who are seeking for the gospel, you must move past the bread of Moses and the bread of miracles, and you must taste the bread of the Messiah. And what does that mean? We know it's not this physical eating because Jesus' whole point is that people physically ate of the manna and they still died. When Jesus is talking about eating of him, he's talking about partaking with faith. How do we eat Jesus? We believe in him. And we believe that um, he is going to do this, that this Jesus is the work of God. Look at what he says in verse 29. Uh, they said, what must we do to be doing the work of God? The crowd says, we want to do miracles. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. This is the miracle of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And this leads to this wonderful revelation of Peter at the end in verse 68, where he says, where else will we go? For you alone have the words of life and you and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus and Jesus alone is the centrality of the Christian faith. And we must believe in him to have feasted on him and have to have received God's provision. God's provision for us is Jesus and it is the miracle the wonderful miracle of God, the work of God that we believe in him. It is no man-powered effort that we believe. It is the very work of God in us that gives us eyes to see. And so that's in looking up. Jesus is the central figure, the central experience, the central belly-filling need is Jesus. Not the sides. Sides are great, but sides are great in moderation. We must have the center, which is Jesus. 
And so, and now looking in, there's two things I want to point on. One is more primary. The other is a way of transition is we see in this passage, kind of the Trinitarian wonder of salvation, right? Um, God is triune. It's one God in three persons of the same essence. That is God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And we see all of those things interacting. I just want to read for you. Um, when you think of your conversion, what relationship do you think the Trinity plays in that? In other words, what relationship does the full relational power, warmth, and will of God have on you? How near has God drawn to you in your salvation? Well, just look at the language Jesus uses. Uh, let's look at verse 37. All that the Father gives will come to me. That's the people. So the God, the Father gives to Jesus and they come to Jesus. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Consider also verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, so he's quoting Isaiah here, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has come, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. It's the point there is Jesus is saying that, how are you going to learn about God? How does God want to teach you? Where does God himself want to point your eyes? He wants to point your eyes to Jesus. But now we also see this in verse 57. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me. And now we see the spirit involved in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So here we see this Trinitarian working of the salvation where Jesus willingly is sent on behalf of the father that God is going to, like a lens, uh, draw anyone who is drawn to him that he desires comes to him through the lens of Christ. There is no way to God except through Jesus. And how do we realize, how do we see that Jesus is the lens that gets us to God? Well, it's by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here we see this wonderful miracle of salvation. Why is Jesus so um, bold as to say the greatest miracle you can work is the miracle of faith? Because faith is the response of the miracle of redemption at the hands of the triune God. There is no trifle in our faith. It is wonderfully powerful, wonderfully driven by the totality of the Godhead to give us eyes to see not the sides of faith, but the source of it in Jesus Christ. And to have that source is to mean that we will not, like many of the disciples, the lowercase disciples in this text, we will not fall away, but we will see with eyes of faith through the work of the Spirit and the calling of Christ and the will of God that you alone have the words of life. And we will believe that he is the Holy One of God. So that's where we see the Trinitarian wonder of our salvation. Like stop and stare at what God has done in your life. At how the Spirit has, has uh, empowered you to believe. Not by your flesh, not by your intellect, but by his grace. That God has drawn you, not by accident, not by just general offering, but by his distinct and precious will for you. And that Jesus himself is what binds you to both of those in faith. So we see the Trinitarian wonder of our salvation in looking in. But we also see, and this is kind of by way of transition to what I say in looking out 
we see sincere stupidity. And I mean that because look at what happens in uh, verse 15. Um, uh, Jesus has done this work. He's fed 5,000 people. And then it says this, the crowds perceiving then that they, or Jesus, excuse me, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to be king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so here we see people who are seeing with their eyes, right? Not through faith. Jesus is kind of making this contrast between what people see and what people believe. Um, seeing in the Bible is not equal to believing. Um, believing here is, at least in John's literature, is chief to seeing. So they see this miracle and they want to make Jesus king. Um, and it's true that Jesus is king, so why is this a problem? Because they wanted to make Jesus a king of their own choosing and not the king that Jesus actually came to be. And there is a sense of stupidity where we, as broken, needy sinners, um, know we need a king, some type of king. Uh, but without the help of grace, we will always try to make Jesus into a king of our own choosing and not the king that we actually need. It's kind of like that... Um, Batman thing in in the 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 Peter Nolan films that um, he, he's the hero Gotham deserves. He's not the hero um, that they want, but he's the hero that they need. And we in our brokenness want things that don't actually save us. But Jesus is the need we actually have to be saved, and that increases uh, kind of this dumbfoundedness in verse thirty, where what have they seen right now? Well, they've seen Jesus feed five thousand people. They are starting to understand that Jesus did something miraculous to get across this lake. But then they say this to Jesus in verse 30. What sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Are you kidding me? They've seen it already. Jesus, this is like the, the fifth big miracle that Jesus has done so far in the gospel of John. And yet they say, what more is there? And here's the reality for us. If we do not see the cross of Jesus as the greatest miracle to bring us belief, then we will always look to God and say, what else is there? And what a sad place to be. Because there's nothing else. There is nothing else God can do to convince us of our sinful stupor and his immense love for us than what he has shown us on the cross. Look at verse 41 and 42. Uh, here they begin to argue. <laughs> Jesus is proving himself that he is the bread of life. And they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And now he says, I have come down from heaven. Right? Jesus is starting to buff up against their pride. They're following him. They want his miracles. And yet they don't want him to be too distinct from them. They want him to be like them. But Jesus is not like us. We see more arguing in verse 52 about this as well. And so this is where we see the sincere stupidity of people who are seeking Jesus, wanting signs, but they are blind to what is right in front of them. And that is all of us, unless this Jesus is exactly who he says he is. By our eyes, by our flesh, by our experience, there is no hope. But this is where we begin to look out. This is where the gospel is pressed deeply into our lives. And here we see the eyes to see Christ in all of our testing. And the and Christ is going to provide everything we need to that end. I love in verse 5, um, Jesus says to Philip, he says this, uh, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6 says this, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. I love this. Jesus asks Philip a question. 
which has no obvious answer. And why does Jesus do this? Because Jesus knew exactly how he was going to answer that question. There is no rational way in which the resources of the disciples at that point will feed 5,000 people. And yet Jesus was highlighting an answer that was standing in the midst of them. Uh, when I was in uh, college, I remember there was one professor who taught um, anthropology. And when he would do his, when he was doing his lectures, he would often say, if I were to give a test, this would be an important thing to pay attention to. And they'd just stop and stare at us. <laughs> and they'd repeat again. He's like, if I was going to give a test, this would be an important thing to pay attention to. And the point was, is he was highlighting for us the answer to a question that was going to be on the test. And to a degree, this is what Phil Jesus is doing to Philip. He is saying, you are going to be tested. Uh, where is this provision going to come from? And by the end of the story, we see the answer. The provision to satisfy the people's physical hunger was Jesus himself. And why is that tied to the broader story of the spread of life? Because here it is. We, like the disciples, like the crowd, can often see Jesus and miss him completely. We can be satisfied by the sides of grace instead of the source of it. But Jesus has come to provide us what we lack. How are we going to believe? Jesus is going to provide the bread we need. Jesus is going to give us eyes of faith. Jesus is going to strike our, our drunken blind, dumb hearts to the eyes of who he is. Jesus was going to provide. How will hungry hearts ever be filled by the true faith that we need? Because Jesus is going to do it. And so in our life, we're going to have many moments where Jesus is going to come to us as true believers, and he's going to say, where are we going to get this bread? And there is going to be a season where like Philip, we have to look. We have to do the work where Peter then says, look at this boy, and we have to break it up, and we have to go through the crowds. But at the end, what you are going to see, the true reality of faith, is no matter how big the test, you will always find Christ sufficient to give you exactly what you need in that moment. He will always be sufficient to show Jesus as the center of faith, which will never disappoint us. He is the bread that we will eat and never die. He is the true spiritual bread. He is the bread sent from heaven. He is exactly what we need to be restored to God and satisfied. And so kind of as we begin this Monday, when it comes to looking out, I want you to soberly assess where is it that Jesus might be asking you a question by your experience by perhaps something as big as 5,000 people looking for food, where Jesus is wanting you to walk into that testing of your belief so that you might see at the end, you alone have the words of life. Because at those moments, one of two things can happen. You can become so satisfied with the sides of grace that you just want to peace out and take what you have. You want to take the loaves, you want to take the fish, you want to take the manna, but Christ holds out something better. And what we see in this text is that those who Jesus will draw Jesus will keep. And so for those of us who are in the troughs of life, in the valleys of testing, we take wonderful heart in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That if we have tasted Jesus truly in faith, that his blood will satisfy us with the calories of belief we need to endure these trials. And we will come out on the end, like Peter, with not eyes to see, but actually a belly which confirms that Christ is sufficient for us. So that's what we see in John chapter 6 today. 
Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back again at this next week. Don't forget, if you are around on Wednesday afternoons to join our live Bible reading discussion, which is pretty much exactly what we're doing right here, but there's uh, 10 to 15 other people who are involved and we discuss these texts and that's Wednesdays at noon. You can find a link to that on our website. Um, let me pray for us and then we can get on with our week. Lord Jesus, we pray that you give us eyes to see um, because you've given us faith which tastes, which tastes the wonderful Trinitarian joy of salvation that God the Father has so desired to send his Son so that the Holy Spirit would cause us to look and to see the exclusivity of Jesus as the bread of life. Lord, I pray that that helps us in our evangelism and makes us comfortable with what are some of the uncomfortable aspects of faith. That this is not something that makes sense to the eyes of the flesh, but we have something better than the flesh to convince people with. We have the spirit of God, the will of God. God wants to save people. So there is hope for the weak and weary evangelists. Lord, we also know there's hope for us in the testing of life who believe that Jesus himself, if he has drawn us, he will not let us go. He will always give us what we need. He will always provide for us bread in abundance from himself. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone.